Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. My name is Bob Bradford, and this is another episode in our special series, How Should the Army Run, or H-Star. Today's episode is about the information systems that support the Army's force management processes. The Army has a series of processes that help it design and develop the force, integrate personnel, equipment, and training to make real capabilities, mobilize and deploy the force to support combatant command requirements, and then redeploy and demobilize after use. Multiple information systems support these efforts for the Army, but they are old, stovepiped, and require a lot of manual labor to provide useful information. Today, we are joined by two leaders from the Army's Strategic Operations Enterprise Division in the G357 that is tasked with replacing these stovepipe systems with a new system that will enable better data-informed decisions by Army senior leaders. First is Ms. Lori Mongold, the Division Chief of the Strategic Operations Enterprise Division. Lori leads the Army's force management transformation effort, developing the Global Force Information Management Operational Environment, or GFMOE. Lori has over 30 years of experience supporting Army program management, global force management, and readiness initiatives at the Pentagon, at Joint Force Headquarters, and in the Army Reserve. She leads the team enabling the Army's global force management process to move from the industrial to the cognitive era. Welcome, Lori. Welcome, Bob. It's exciting to be here today. We're looking forward to talking about all the exciting things that the Army G3 is involved in with regards to digital transformation, data transformation, and warfighting transformation. Thanks, Lori. Next is Mr. Andy St. Laurent, who currently serves as Lori's Deputy Division Chief for the Department of the Army's Strategic Operations Enterprise Division. He previously served as Deputy Product Lead for Program Executive Office for Enterprise Information Systems, Branch Chief for the Army Requirements Oversight Council at HQDA G8, and the Force Structure Division Chief at Army Cyber Command. He also brings a wealth of Army Force Management experience. Welcome, Andy. Hey, thanks, Bob. Glad to be here. Uh, this is a great opportunity for, for Laurie and I to talk about one of our favorite subjects, which is transforming the, uh, the global force management systems for the Army. So uh, thanks again for having us. No, and and uh, I think this is a great opportunity as we have this, how should the Army run? You've got a vision and you've got a way to get there. We're not there yet. So hopefully we can get to how we're going to get where we should be uh, as you describe the vision. So thanks. Hey, Lori, let, let me start with you. You and your team are leading this major change effort to modernize and improve the Army's force management enterprise. Before we dive into your change effort, could you give our listeners a little background on the problem you're working to address? What's the current state of all these force management information systems? Yeah, no. So this is, like Andy said, this is a great opportunity. This is something that we're really excited about. Uh, we've we've both been involved in the Army for a really long time. So we've sort of uh, been at different echelons. We've been in different jobs. We've sort of seen how things work. Um, we've both been to how the Army runs course and have learned the book way of how the Army runs. And then we've lived it and recognized how it should run. And so this is like a perfect opportunity for us to, to look across the Army business, uh, see how that relates to the Army warfighter, 
um, see the capability gaps, the friction points, uh, the redundancies that are potentially built in that are unnecessary, friction points that need to be eliminated. Um, we're working in an environment that has an uh, where operations and our world has changed so significantly. Uh, the way that we fight has changed. Uh, we move from more of a non-kinetic uh, realm from a kinetic fight, but we haven't changed our business processes. For 30 years, uh, we've been doing business the same way. Um, and if you want to adjust the way that, that you fight better, or you get ahead of your ability to uh, defeat your adversary, you got to change the way you do business. Um, it starts there. It starts at the enterprise level. It starts at the strategic level, making those adjustments. So um, Andy and I are excited about taking this uh, deploy to redeploy and retrograde a material end-to-end business process, uh, re-engineering it from a process perspective, um, looking across the army at the antiquated systems that support our ability to do that today, uh, getting rid of them um, and bringing in new emerging and disruptive technologies to sort of help facilitate uh, action officers and stakeholders across the army to do their job better, um, making their job more of analysts and um, users of the data and the ability to give our senior leaders the space to make decisions rather than being data entry clerks or cobbling together spreadsheets um, just to be able to determine whether we have the right people at the right place at the right time for the right mission. Oh, thanks. Hey, Andy, maybe I might ask you as a, as a experienced force manager, what kind of decisions will this uh, do the current systems enable? Like what are, what are we talking about? Deploy to redeploy and then business process. What is that yeah. really about? What does that mean if I'm a major working at a uh, user pack or, or a, a Lieutenant Colonel at the army national guard bureau? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, from, from my time in, in uniform and using these force management systems in combat and, and in humanitarian missions, along with, uh, being at the strategic and tac- down to the tactical levels, I, I saw firsthand, you know, the the pain points. Uh, we've got to be doing. We've got to do better, right? So we have 15 disparate systems uh, for global force management. They don't talk to each other. They're not in the cloud. You question the veracity of of, of the data. Can I count on it? And, and as a force manager or a CP26 person out in the field or, or an, you know, an analyst of any kind, um, some of the things that you're going to be able to use GFIM for is to determine force requirements. We have the, you know, the, a segment of folks that, that need to uh, you know, stand up a force, determine the force, uh, develop the force, right? And then you have the, the folks that are going to need GFIM to train the force and, and mobilize, deploy, uh, employ, and redeploy the force. Uh, what I've used it for, uh, you know, say I'll use Afghanistan as an example, um, is getting uh, with the 101st Airborne is, you know, to use you know, disparate systems to get equipment that is critical to mission accomplishment. But to do that, I had to use, you know, almost 15 different systems to get the capability that I need. And oh, by the way, it was, it was on, you know, uh, you know, spreadsheets, you know, swivel chair coordination and the like. GFM will, will, will take care of all of that. So this is this is all parts of force management, I, I guess, from force design, as you described. If I think yeah. of a new capability, say I need a new multi-domain task force. I don't know what it is. I'm at uh, 
somewhere in Army Futures Command at a Capability Development Integration Directorate. I got to build this new thing. I got to build a you know concept plan and a unit reference yeah. sheet and all these other force management terms to make this thing work. This system will help me do that. And if I'm at Army G8 and I got to who gets the next um, new AMP V, I can I've got a system that doesn't talk to the system that designs the force. Your new system will combine those two into one. Is that what I understand? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think the one of the biggest things, you know, that uh, the greatest example to, to me in my experience, and I'll hand it over to Lori for hers, was um, Operation United Assistance, where we eradicated Ebola uh, in Africa with the 101st Airborne. Um, you know, for, for that one, you're, you're standing up a new capability that had never been done before. And to do that, you know, I had to rely on systems that didn't have the correct information. If they did, it wasn't right. I was constantly calling back to Lori because uh, I was in the 101st uh, Airborne at the time, and I had to call back to Lori, uh, you know, in the Pentagon. Hey, help, please. I mean, what is ground truth? Can you help us get the equipment? Can you can you steer us in the, you know in the right way of the right force structure? Because uh, we we had from the time that we were notified to the time we left, it was two weeks. We didn't have a lot of time. In the, in the 15 disparate systems, you know, made it almost impossible. And when you went there, there was no net. We were, we're, we just took a clean sheet approach, you know, based on the pain points of that, you know, one of, you know, using that as an example um, to build GFIM. Uh, Lori, thoughts? Yeah. And then um, what, you know, the 15 systems, but what we haven't even touched upon is the fact that 55% of the missions and the task and the activities that folks have to do to be able to design a force and then get that force trained and ready for mobilization, deployment, and employment activities is not even done inside those systems. It's still swivel chair activities. So that's what we mean when we start talking about an end-to-end -end business process and a re-engineering of it to make sure that are we doing the things we need to do and then can we bring automation in to enable us to do it better. So, so when you say swivel chair activities, that is the action officer pulling information from one system, putting it in a spreadsheet, maybe entering it in another system to get another output, and then putting that in a spreadsheet, and eventually making some kind of PowerPoint chart that the general can look at and say, ah, good job, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So here's a perfect example. Just Let's just take designing the force, right? So we are going into a command plan cycle. We know what the force is that we want to develop. A, um, organizational integrator setting in the Army G3 go in and program that force inside of one system. And they can only have one position at a time. So they think that this is the force they're going to have. They program yeah, it. Program the force means put it into the long-term resource plan. Yep, put it into this a is what plan. I'm going to fund. At the aggregate level, this is the type of structure that we believe the Army needs. And we're going to go to Congress. We're going to ask them for money to pay for that structure so that we can then go out, recruit, uh, uh, build equipment, get equipment delivered, and actually build that structure. So organizational integrators put that structure into a system. And then there's another whole entity that now has to codify that details to that structure inside of our requirement and authorization documents. Those two systems don't even talk. So in order to know that you need to do the next step in a work process, somebody is going to print out a spreadsheet and email it to you and tell you to now go build the army. 
Um, so you can see there's a, a lot of opportunities for human error. There's a lot of delays. Um, we need to increase our ability to turn army decisions quicker. And in systems that don't give us that flexibility or that agility to do that, we're, we are um, stuck. We're stuck in time um, and not being our friend. And, and also like to, to almost like to add to that, you know, um, sometimes our legacy systems were, were built on the classified side out of convenience. There was really no rhyme or reason for it. What happens is you're out in the field and, you know, same name, you know, name your bad place and you have to request forces. You have to request equipment, but you don't have any a classified network to do it. Uh, but the information's really unclassified in a lot of times. Um, so, you know, that was a, a sticking point. But also one of the things that even if we did have the right systems, we have to have 15 different logins right now, 15 user roles and permissions to do what GFIM will do with one login, one system, one cross-domain solution. So I can go from a classified setting to an unclassified and unclassified to a classified, depending on my requirements. Imagine the capability of that when you're in an austere environment. Uh, and disconnected you know. ops. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a combat multiplier in and of itself. It's, it sounds like the pain points, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say, I mean, it's definitely something this printing out spreadsheets and typing them in a computer that could have happened when I joined the army in the eighties. Right. And we're in the absolutely. 2020s. It sounds like you're really just trying to do what is easy today in most other systems. So why is this hard for the army? Why haven't we done it already? What, you know, why do we need this large transformation effort? Yeah, so the Army has, been, has spent a lot of time sort of concentrating on um, pockets. I call them silos of excellence across the Army. Uh, we just recently delivered the integrated pay and personnel system, um, focusing on all pay and personnel actions for the military, a logistics. Uh, there's a logistics system. But nobody has really spent the time to look at that that underpinning that foundational effort that gives you that that set of authoritative data that gives you that demand signal to man equip train ready and resource an army build facilities because it's hard because a lot of the um our force is so large and start and all of the rules and the policies that go into the army that we need versus the army that we can afford versus the army that we can man versus the army that we can equip versus the army that we can train and have ready those variables we've never been able to compare to each other in parallel. Um, so we've just limped along. We, we do our best guess. We're like, okay, here's the army that we think we need based upon the information that we could cobble together. Here's the, the army that we're going to go ask for. And then the policies and the processes have been uh, so bureaucratic that you then are stuck with that decision. Uh, there's no agility built into either the processes or the systems to give you the opportunity to make decisions when new information becomes available. So we've not been able to capitalize on uh, information advantage. And that's one of the things that I think has has held us back um, 
and technologies can allow for that. We've we spent a lot of time investing resources into the war fight when the demand signal and the authoritative data is generated from the business side to inform our ability to do the war fight. The war fight is informing our ability to do business, but we've never brought the two together to reconcile that position. Andy? Yeah, I, I think an, another reason while while why it has taken a little longer is culture uh, the culture of, of the building the pentagon the culture of the army very stovepiped very hierarchy and also we we sometimes are unco- not good at being you know comfortable being uncomfortable um, we know we a lot of the analysts they have they've been using these systems for in some cases decades they know the these systems they trust these systems. They know the workarounds for these systems, even if it doesn't, uh, you know, lend to you know better decision, better data for better decision making. I know what I know. I I log in every single day, and and this is what I've done for the last twenty years, and I don't want to change. And oh, by the way, I'm not really sure I trust this this technology that you speak of, going into the cloud and merging these fifteen systems into one, and 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 how that will affect my life as an analyst. And uh, you know, f- we started this while the sprints probably. 18 months ago, and it, it, the community, which is the most diverse community, uh, I think, for any system that we use, went from, heck no, we're not doing this, to where we are today, which is, I'm all about it. How can I help? I want to be a part of this transformation. It's been a wonderful transformation. Did we get everything right so far? No. But we're using that agile methodology to to go through the, you know, the iterations and, and give the community something that they want. So we're bringing them along. But as we know, cultural change takes time, but we're getting there. And I think there's been some hesitation um, getting after GFM because of the of the direct connect to the warfighter. Mm-hmm. So when you do something like pay in yep. personnel, you have the opportunity to manually make adjustments to get somebody's administrative actions or their pay or their personnel uh, uh, position correct. And and they still they're alive. Nothing's happened. They, there's pay and personnel. When you talk about GFM, if we don't get the demand signal generated correctly, if we don't make the opportunity to do the correct analysis against the ability to design a force and use that force in parallel to each other, the impact is a warfighter. The impact is the soldiers that we're going to send, where we're going to send them, when we're going to send them, and what we're going to send them with. And so I think there's been some hesitation to really get after that. Um, because it's it's a little more intimidating when you're dealing with the warfighter mission area than when you're just dealing with the business mission area. No, that's that's great. Hey, so I, I think you've got a clear vision, an understanding of a, a problem that is shared. Um, what are the next steps to get this out there to actually work? Because it doesn't work right now, or does it work right now? Where are we in the implementation of the GFMOE? Yep. So as Andy stated, we've been going through sprints for about 18 months. Um, we did. Uh, we are delivering GFEM underneath the Adaptive Acquisition Framework. Uh, this is one of the first applications within the defense business system uh, mission area that has gone through the uh, through that framework. Um, it gives us the ability to do 
uh, different types of contracts. It gives us the flexibility to deliver capabilities and agile methodology. Um, it gives us way more flexibility with our industry partners. So we get to sit down and have way more conversations. Gone are the days of developing a requirement, throwing it over the fence and waiting seven to 10 years before you see something that by the time it's delivered to you, it's obsolete. Um, we have, uh, we do partnerships for collaborative teams, the acquisition community, the functional community, the vendor. Um, it's, it's like a triad that's constantly churning together uh, to get these capabilities out there. So we uh, broke this portfolio up into two, two different um, areas. One is called the development of the future force, and one is called the um, providing of the current force. Uh, the development of the future force has just been delivered as a minimum viable capability. Um, not quite production ready. Um, we're going through a six-month uh, re-architecture from a software as a service solution, um, putting this application inside a C-Army, which is the Army's cloud, um, underneath the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency and the Army CIO. And then we're integrating that transactional capability with the data and the analytical layer. So we expect that we'll have a production-ready capability uh, later in FY24. For the design the force portion. For the design the force and for the providing of the current force, we'll spend the first part of 24 taking a prototype for the providing of the current force, turning that into a minimum viable product, then going through some minimum viable capability releases and the entire GFM application uh, will be production ready uh, no later than the beginning of 25. You know, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't develop the legacy systems using these uh, state-of-the-art, you know, the way business yeah. develops software right now. So, so, so the Army isn't used to doing this. You're doing something different that hasn't been done. How are the, the stakeholders involved uh, supporting you, both from the users from the acquisition community at uh, PEO, Enterprise Information Systems, and then your vendor, I guess it's Big Bear, is that the prime? For Big this? Bear is the prime, how, that's correct. How are they working together? How are they, you mentioned you're not just throwing over the transom. When you do these sprints, is everybody sitting next to each other? Is a coder sitting next to a guy that's using it and the guy can say, this is my pain point? Oh, well, I know what to write for then. How, how are you doing that all together? Yeah, so we sort of have a hybrid going on where in some cases they physically are co-located together and in other cases we're conducting it through Microsoft Teams um, because our stakeholders are around the Army. Um, so they're not just at the Pentagon. They're not just in the National Capital Region. Uh, we just had a culminating event of a, a user acceptance testing of our develop of the future force minimum viable product. And we had 270 testers um, from across the army, all echelons. So this was from Forcecom, from the army reserve, from the army national guard, from the department, uh, from the um, ASCCs and the army commands. And we had the cores and, and, and you know, for, for, for the guard, it's interesting to know too. I mean, the individual states, it's not NG, just NGB or ARNG too. There was, a, I think there were 12 states that actually participated uh, in the user acceptance testing that, uh, that Lori just alluded to. And, and it's important to note, I think that it's a total army uh, build. The National Guard, the reserve and the, and the regular army at all echelons are participating in the build and doing this rapid iteration. We're using agile methodologies, as I discussed earlier, uh, to to iterate, 
you know, sit down with the vendor. They listen to our, our, our you know, where, where we want to go with our requirements. They go back, you know, develop, come back. Hey, is this right? Nope. We have to check. Uh, you need to do this and this. And, and, you know, it's that iterative partnership process. And also, you know, GFM is the first new start in the, in the, in the cloud, uh, which was, so we're a pathfinder there. But also one of the things that we did initially <clears throat> is the deputy for the PM shop for GFM was me, a functional, um, to kind of get the, the sprint started and give a functional flavor to the acquisition community. And then, you know, Lori uh, you know, uh, had me come over to uh, her side of the fence uh, about a few months ago. But, but I think that functional technical collaboration between PEO and, and our office, along with the stakeholders, has made something really, really special. Uh, that that we're uh, we're going to deliver something great for the army. Yeah, and the stakeholder community actually wrote the user stories. They did. So it wasn't like our office designing the user stories with a "Hey, this is how we think it should be." We went to the functional stakeholders, to the Office of Primary Responsibilities, to all of their communities of interest that are intimately involved in their day to day activities, and said, "Okay, let's sit down. This is how we do it. How should we be doing it?" If you're a king or queen for a day, right? Right, exactly. You're redesigning not just the information system, but also the processes. That's correct. And we started there. So when we first started, and kind of, you know, back to Andy's talk about culture, when we first started, um, I was, I've was i been the CMO for about five years now. We went around to approximately 300 different people across the Army. And the very first question I said was, hey, if you were king or queen for the day and you could change the way that you do your business, that your day-to-day life could be easier, what would that look like? And what I was waiting for, Bob, was somebody to turn over a blank sheet of paper and say, oh, my God, this is what I would do, right? What I got was a lot of, well, you tweak here, you tweak here, and I'll be okay. That was three years ago. Where we are now are people calling us, emailing us, knocking down our door going, oh, my God, I know how to do it. Let's do this. Can we change this? Can we do this? And you can see their excitement now with the, I didn't realize you just want me to turn over a blank sheet of paper and tell you, like, why can't we try this? Let's push the envelope. And I feel very, I feel very good about the Army G3 backing us in pushing that envelope to do things monumentally different than how we've ever done them before um, and giving us the, the flexibility and the space to try that, um, especially with technology. You can back back out of it. Um, and with the agile iterative process, we have the ability to do that. Try it, see how it works, back it out, change it and try it again. That's that's great, and your mention of the G three as your your champion, right? He's a pretty powerful person in the army uh, who has to make uh, advise a lot of important decisions made by the secretary, the chief, and uh, the other senior leaders in the army. So, right now, the G three sees this as as important. He does. Is it something? How often do you talk to him to make sure that he knows it's working? And ay, I mean FY twenty four. Uh, that's 15 months from now is the end of that. So you're telling me you're going to have a production capable thing in 15 months. Um, how is he helping you get there? So we are actually opcon to the deputy G3. So we work directly under Mr. Bechtel 
who is a deputy G3, and he gives us our day-to-day guidance, our day-to-day supervision. He gets uh, daily and weekly updates um, on GFEM. Um, He recently uh, gave us guidance to publish a a G3 CMO memo that allows us the the, um, responsibility, the uh, flexibility, the agility that's needed to drive the functional stakeholder community, um, their participation, their involvement to the successful delivery in 24. So they're all in. And it's not just the Army G3. Uh, GFIM is the Secretary of the Army's number one business priority uh, currently right now. So, so, um, so you got they're it, all champion. in. We do. <laughs> okay. We do. So, so with a champion, you'll, I'm sure you'll get the resources you need. It sounds like uh, you're getting the authorities and responsibilities you need. What, what are the roadblocks? What do you see that might trip this up from actually happening? Or is this inevitable now? So I think it's inevitable that's going to happen. Um, I believe the timeline, there's always some risk in the timeline. There's always risk in funding. Um, I think um, everybody out there knows that FY23 from a fiscal perspective uh, was challenging. Um, uh, Ukraine and Russia uh, brought in some emerging requirements to our army that, that we had not pumped for. Um, so there were dollars that were taken out of, of programs to be able to offset those costs. Um, the budget uh, took several extra months to get passed. So that sort of impacted us. So uh, as long as the resources flow, uh, we'll be able to stay on target. Um, if, the, if the funding doesn't come, if we enter a CR again in FY24 and we have some delays there, then the program may slip a little bit. Uh, we have backup plans for that, which is continually breaking the program into smaller and smaller chunks, which is the beauty of Agile, so that we can get some capabilities out there, turn off some of the old stuff, and at least make uh, iterative progress. Yeah, and we've leaned forward to prioritize what we need built first to get the maximum amount of capability out sooner, understanding the fiscal realities in which we're in, right? We can't have everything we want time now like we would want, but we, but we have prioritized the requirements. So in working with Big Bear AI and, and the PMO or ASALT uh, community to, to to maximize what we do have and what we can do in the next, what, 18 months. Yeah. When I first started this, I was so excited. I wanted to go right to the cognitive era because (laughs) we were stuck in the industrial age. And I was like, we've got to get out of here. And you learn to, to, to iteratively do proofs of concepts, to deliver capabilities. You're, you're sort of balancing money and time and, uh, culture together to be able to keep things moving forward. Um, so we've moved, we're going to move from the industrial age and we're going to get to the information age and we're going to be on the tip of the cognitive era. And then as time and resources and the, the stakeholder buy-in continues to mature, then we'll go to the cognitive era. No, I, I think Andy's description of his experience at the 101st, where there's all these data and there's like everything's different. What, what, what's the real data source? You building one thing that works that has the real data source, yeah. that's information age. And then as uh, the Army starts adopting, you know, machine learning and AI tools, you, right. you can do all kinds of things with that that can really uh, assist the decision maker in making better and uh, more informed decisions. So I think this is a huge opportunity. Um, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the program started, what, 18 months ago? 
For, three for sprints, yeah. yeah. I mean, Lori's been, you know, developing, uh, you know, this concept for, for quite some time. But, you know, 18 months ago, we, we did the competing, you know, for uh, the vendors uh, to develop a clean sheet approach, you know, bring the innovation from industry to bear on our problems. And, and yeah, we started about 18 months ago. And you'll have uh, a production run capable within, within 18. So less than three yeah. years, you're going to go from starting work to having something out in the field. That is just, uh, it, it's not the army I grew up in, I don't think. And so no, it, yeah. as a lot of people complain that the army is sclerotic and too slow and we're old and we do it, we're too bureaucratic. The fact that, uh, that your team, uh, you know, with the champion and enough resources, not huge amount. This is not huge amounts of money. It's a lot much, it is not. a lot less oh. than they're paying for Ipsay and other things, right? So way less. So, uh, but we're gonna be able, you know, the the series is how should the army? The army is going to be able to change how it runs so it's better for the future, and I, I just think that's that's awesome. Hey, uh, we're about 30 minutes. I'll give each of you the last word if you'd like before we uh, end the podcast. Lori, what's your last, what, anything you want to say at the end of this podcast? Yeah, so I am, I am excited. So, Bob, I am culminating at about 34 years of, of serving the Army in one capacity or another. Um, GFM is very near and dear to my heart. I'm not trying to be, like, overly personal, but I sort of birthed it. And I want to see it to the end because this will be the, my last act for the Army before I retire. Um, and so I'm excited to see it through. It, it, I feel good. I just I just got a new granddaughter. And, and every time I, I go forward to do things, I'm thinking everything that we do on a daily basis is going to leave behind a better Army to protect and defend our nation. So my grandchildren will see a completely different army, a completely different nation. Um, they'll be able to feel safer because of the work that we're doing here. And I, and I believe that. Um, so it makes me feel good to be a part of that. There's, you don't get a lot of opportunities to change things. People talk about it. People talk about that. God, I wish I could make it different. And we've been able to actually make that change. Um, Andy. No, no thanks. Thanks, yeah, Lord. absolutely. Couldn't agree more with my my battle buddy here. As you know, as I take the baton uh, and, and continue GFM, uh, I don't think anything anybody but maybe Lori believes in GFM more than I do. Living it from a from an operator perspective in combat, an operator's perspective in, in humanitarian missions, and, and of course at the Pentagon and uh, in places in between, I believe in this transformational approach. It will make the Army better. Uh, in terms of global force management, but also the data and, and the capabilities that are, you know, that are resident in uh, GFIM will enable our personnelists to do a better job, our acquisition core to do a better job, the equippers, uh, you know, throughout the other end-to-end -end processes, GFIM will help enable the Army to be, uh, Army leaders and command commanders to be able to make better decisions because they can see the, the Army's force structure position both now and in the future in real time. It's it's a pretty powerful initiative and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Thanks for thanks for having us today. Thank you. Hey, uh, thank you both. Uh, and Lori, good best of luck as you head towards retirement uh, in the near future. And Andy, uh, good luck as you keep pushing this across the line. That's all the time we have for now. It was great that you were able to join us today and great speaking about this major change effort for the Army. To our audience, thank you all for listening. Please send us your comments and suggestions for this and future episodes of War Room. Meanwhile, you can access the How the Army Runs reference guide that the War College edits 
and other text matters on Army leadership and management on the Army War Room site under the Reference Materials tab. Please subscribe to A Better Peace on your podcatcher of choice. And once you have, please rate and review this podcast because that's how more people can hear about us so that we can continue to grow this community for conversations like this one. This conversation is over, but we look forward to welcoming all of you listeners again. Until next time from The War Room, I'm Bob Bradford. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.